Okay, now we can go. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on this Thursday. This one's the 27th of July, and here is what we were going to do today. Federal student loan payments are set to resume in October. We've been getting questions because we asked you for questions uh, about what that mean for, might mean for the economy. You know, they didn't just come, although maybe some of them did. I don't know. Uh, so we're going to answer some of them today. That's what we're going to do. Indeed. Uh, we are calling this, What Do You Want to Know About Student Loan Repayments? Because why not? Give it a name. We love the branding. Uh, anyhow, yeah. let's get to our first question. Hi, this is Kristen calling from Philadelphia, and I'm wondering what's going to happen to the economy when all the money that student loan borrowers have been able to not pay and have been pumping into their vacations and dining out and buying furniture and things has to start going back to paying student loans this fall. Can you make me smart? Mm -hmm. Thanks. Good question. Who's taking this one? You're Why don't me. you take that? Why don't you go ahead? Okay. So, uh, so something is going to happen. We don't quite know yet what, but something is going to happen. So there's a study out from TransUnion. They had some research uh, not too long ago uh, that pointed out that about 27 million borrowers uh, whose loans have been in what's called forbearance uh, are going to have to resume payments this fall. 20% of those repayments are going to be over $500 a month. Um, more than half of them are going to be over $200 a month. And I don't care what your but well, I mean, obviously, if you've got a ridiculous budget, that's not a lot of money. But for most uh, normal people in this economy, that is a chunk of money. And so the money that they've been able to spend on Beyonce and Taylor and going to Barbie and you name it is going to tighten up, right? They are going to lose some discretionary spending. And when that discretionary spending hap changes, right, it impacts retailers. Kristen Schwab did a story for us. She's done a couple of stories, I think. UBS Research uh, indicated the student loan borrowers are most likely to, to defer spending on apparel. So if you're Gap or anybody in that industry, look out. Um, Wells Fargo had a slightly contrarian view, didn't think it was going to be widespread enough to have a major impact on household spending. I, I would beg to differ as well with Wells Fargo. I think if you get 27 million people who are losing between $200 and $500 a month in discretionary income, that is a chunk of money. So, yeah, it's definitely going to have an impact. And I imagine we're going to see the impact even before October, I mean, which is like yeah. now, because people know it's coming and are probably yep. going to start pulling back on spending early and right. might even over pull back, however right. you might say that, because right. um, the correction. Yeah, no, totally. And look, one, one more thing, and this is going to make me sound like a jerk, but in a way, this really helps the Fed. Right. Because there will be now fewer dollars out there chasing goods. Mm -hmm. And that is a mm -hmm. positive thing for a central bank, which is trying to get inflation down another uh, full percentage point. So trade offs, you know, trade offs. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, next question. Here is what Claudia wants to know. With the Supreme Court striking down President Biden's student loan forgiveness program, what flexibility does the president have to give relief to people with student loans going forward? Ooh, probably wishes he had a whole lot more flexibility because yeah. he's yeah. been getting it from the uh, progressives who feel like he needs to do everything possible to keep his campaign promises about student loan forgiveness. But anyway, um, he does have some other tools at his disposal outside of what the Supreme Court struck down. So the administration unveiled a new program that uh, Marketplace's Janet Wynn has written up and we'll have a link on the website. But it's basically going to allow about... 
800,000 borrowers to have their federal student loans forgiven to the tune of about $39 billion. But it's only for borrowers who've made a certain number of payments, something like 240 to 300 monthly payments, depending on what their situation is. Um, It was a type of relief that was available previously, but the loan servicers weren't doing a great job keeping track of qualifying payments. So if you need to have 240 or 300 payments, you need to have some sort Mm -hmm. of record that those payments were qualifying you for this program. So the Biden administration um, made it easier to track those payments, which means a lot more people are going to be eligible, and therefore it's effectively a type of student loan forgiveness. There was also a different program that the administration unveiled before known as the uh, SAVE plan, Saving on a Valuable Education Plan, uh, which is this... (laughs) Washington loves these acronyms to to do a thing. (laughs) Just... The hoops they jump through sometimes to make yeah. things work. It's it's entertaining. Um, anyway, I bet you could ask ChatGPT to start coming up with those. Oh, I bet you could, actually, for sure. Yeah. And it'd be better, okay, anyway. probably. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so that was an income-driven repayment plan that uh, has been around for years in a different capacity, but now the payments are going to be something like 5% of a borrower's discretionary income as opposed to previously where it was 10, 15, 20% of a borrower's discretionary income. And how can the president do this, given that the Supreme Court said you can't do student loan forgiveness? These things that I just mentioned, these plans, are sort of tweaks to existing programs as opposed to a wholesale, we're going to forgive your student loan, which was done under the HEROES Act during the pandemic and was sort of a stretch, according to the Republicans and the Supreme Court, of that pandemic-era authority. And so given that these other programs are sort of like fixes and different administrative things, um, a lot of folks think that these are going to make it through okay. I also think, actually, that as the election uh, comes back around, progressives are going to start leaning on Biden to figure out another way to do this. It will be it will be, you know, not the issue in the campaign, not as high profile as it was last time, because it's already been litigated and politicized and all that jazz. But it's coming around again, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But if Trump ends up being the GOP nominee, all this stuff is going to be like there will be less of an incentive for uh Biden and any of the Democrats to sort of do anything that the further to the left of the party wants because they know that those folks are going to vote yeah, against point. Trump. Good point. So. Good point. All, All right. right. Next question. Liz wrote in to ask, did not having to pay student loan debt encourage people to pay down their other existing debt or sorry, other existing debt more aggressively, or did people mostly take on additional debt because they had more room in their budget? Yes and no and maybe and kind of there is a study. So there's some evidence that finances did improve for some borrowers during the payment pause. For example, one study by California Policy Lab there at Berkeley found that borrowers did reduce other debts. Forty four percent of pause affected borrowers paid down their debts on credit cards. Six percent of them voluntarily increased their payments on other loans, car loans, mortgages. Right. And and this is key, actually. Credit scores improved. Average credit score uh, among affected borrowers went up from 640 to 668. Credit scores, of course, can factor into what kind of job you get, how much money it costs mm-hmm. for you, right? What kind of loans you can get. So that's actually mm-hmm. a very big deal. But 
you know, there's some studies that show that uh, borrowers took on other debts like credit cards, mortgages, auto loans. Study from TransUnion, uh, which we mentioned a minute ago, said 53% of consumers with student loans opened a new credit card. 36% of them took out uh, an auto loan. So what does that mean? Well, look, if, as we talked about before, if consumers are losing anywhere from $200 to $500 a month in discretionary income, some things mm-hmm. they're not going to pay might include those new credit card uh, debts and maybe auto loans, right? Um, so with, as always with this economy, with the good comes some bad, you know? Yeah, and expect to hear those uh, transunion numbers quite a bit yeah. uh, because I've already seen uh, a couple of op-eds talking about, like, stop the whining and moaning about student loan repayments because people just squandered the money anyway and went deeper into debt. Mm. And this is another one of those things where... There's data showing both of the things, and you're going to selectively hear certain data from some people and right. other data from right. others. So watch totally. out. Absolutely. All right, last one today for today. Here you go. Hi, my name's Renee from North Carolina. I've heard that Fair Biden enough. back in the 80s is the reason why student loans cannot be put into bankruptcy. So mm. with all of the situations with his student loan forgiveness in the courts and it being struck down, is it still possible that he could kind of right the wrong from the 80s and allow student loans to be put into bankruptcy? Hmm. Uh, This is the problem with being a long-serving politician in Washington. You have a record of everything. Uh, But some clarification uh, to that idea. Uh, It is possible, actually, for borrowers to discharge their student loans through bankruptcy. It's just really, 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 really hard to the point that most people don't even bother trying to do it. So unlike medical or credit card debt, student loan debt doesn't automatically get wiped out. When someone files for bankruptcy, borrowers have to file a separate lawsuit and less than 0.1% of student loan borrowers who file for bankruptcy even try to discharge their student loan debt just because it's so hard. So yeah, that's that's one thing. The other thing is in terms of Biden's role in all of this. Back in the 70s, Congress made a change to the Higher Education Act that made it so that a borrower has to meet a standard of undue hardship, that's the language, to discharge their federal student loans through bankruptcy. At the time, Biden was a senator, and he voted for that change. So in his capacity as a senator, yes, he played a part in making that happen, but it wasn't like it was his sole decision. But just as Biden did that as a senator to make it happen, it would take Congress to make it not happen anymore. Um, and in the past couple of years, there has been a lot of discussion about reforming this process on Capitol Hill. Um, last year, the Justice Department, which is the executive, not the legislative, uh, did issue some new guidelines to make it less burdensome for borrowers to try to clear their debt through bankruptcy by um, saying that 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 the borrower situation had to be evaluated based on an attestation form from the borrower to make it less likely that the government was going to oppose the relief. So that undue hardship that you still have to prove, because you do still have to meet the undue hardship standard, but it makes it seemingly a little bit easier to uh, convince the powers that be that Mm -hmm. it's a hard time for you. Um, But it's still not an easy process, and it would take Congress to change it, just like it took Congress to do it. 
Yes. Yeah. Everything Kimberly said. Totally agree. Yes. Totally agree. All right. I hope we answered your questions to your satisfaction. That is it for us today. We are going to be back tomorrow with cocktails and mocktails in hand and beer for Kai uh, for Economics on Tap. You can join us on the YouTube live stream. I shouldn't have said it like that. That wasn't nice. Your, your no, beer is good. wonderful. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. The YouTube live stream starts at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter if you want to know what we're reading and also maybe what we're drinking a little bit ahead of time if you want to try to make cocktails along with me or join Kai in his beer. Um, you can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash newsletters. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neelafar Shabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. One day I'm going to show up to the podcast with a beer and you're going to be shocked. I will not know what to do if you show up with a beer. <laughs> will not know what to do. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.